Welcome in everybody to the Crystal Basketball Podcast. We're at episode three today. My name is Ethan Fuller. Joining me is Rashad Landers. We're continuing on with our journey, breaking down the top players of the 2021 high school class. We've got four more guys we're going to talk about today, along with some other recruiting news and general notes that we've kind of seen. How's it going today, Rashad? Uh, everything's been great. There's been a lot of news lately in the recruiting world, so that makes it even better. Yeah, there has there has been a lot, and we're, we're going to get to that Um but before we do, we'll break down each of these players. Uh, we picked four that we're going to talk about today. And after last episode, when we talked about Chet Holmgren, Pat Baldwin, Paolo Banchero, and Jaden Hardy, today's episode, we're going to slide down the rankings a little more. We skipped around a little bit. We didn't go straight five through eight, but we picked some guys we liked, some guys we're interested in, and we're going to break them down. So the first one we're going to talk about, um, if you got a chance to see this clip from the last episode, Rashad kind of teased how much he loves this player, and I'm extremely excited to hear his thoughts. That is Hillcrest Preps' Mike Foster, who is a 6'9", 6'10", versatile power forward, plays with a lot of power, um, really developed nicely on offense. Um, Rashad, I'll let you kind of give us your deep dive, because he is way up there on your board. (laughs) Yeah, um... For those of you who keep up with the podcast and keep up with my personal channel, you guys know that I love the guys that are like 6'9 and 6'10. And he's another one of those guys. But he's actually the most skilled one I've seen uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, It's kind of amazing because it's kind of a love-hate relationship with him, which is a lot of people have uh, because the talent is there. But it's things like shot selection and defense that just kind of, you know, draws you away from it. But uh, when it comes to making shots, especially making tough shots, he's probably the best player in the class. Um, his physique is what allowed him to get the professional opportunities that he uh, released in his top six. And, uh, you know, he'll, he kind of carried Hillcrest Prep. They have a lot of talent every year. But uh, he's probably the best player on Hillcrest, and it's obviously why he's one of the top ten players in the nation as well. So with Mike Foster, I'm going to go with uh, offense is there. Uh, he needs to improve on the shot selection, though. That's the thing that's questionable at a lot of times. And I think it's uh, actually because uh, he feels pressure. And um, I can't really tell you where the pressure comes from, but it's like when they're losing or, you know, when it's a big matchup, uh, he's the only one that kind of shows up. And, you know, it takes a lot of bad shots in those matchups, but they go in, which is what I was talking about on the talent level. But uh, in terms of things he needs to improve on, of course, defense, uh, motor, um, shot selection, as I just mentioned. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I can think of. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. And the, the love-hate part of Mike Foster is is where I'm at with him because there's so much to really like. He's 6'9", 6'10", in that range. Super long, super well-built, especially for a high school senior now. Um, he is such a powerful player in the way he plays offense. Um, As you mentioned, he can score from all three levels, but he also is really strong and can get the ball inside. Um, His shot is a little unorthodox because it's almost kind of like a catapult motion, but it looks like he he looks good. He's, he's really a threat from all three levels. And on the perimeter, um, one of the games I watched and I, I watched this game in person too. um, When he played, I believe it was Sunrise Christian at Hoopal in January I watched that game. Hillcrest really was just not playing well. And Mike Foster kind of had to carry the load on offense. So maybe that's what you're talking about with the, with the pressure in the big games, because um, McCroom maker was frankly pretty terrible in that game. Uh, the guard play Dale and Terry was solid, but their guard play was iffy. And Mike Foster really had to do a lot on offense for them and be a lot of the, provide a lot of the scoring. And that's where you kind of get into the question marks with him is because he also probably knows that to some extent. And, he'll drive really hard, but he also isn't really great at passing out of a, out of a drive or making plays. Um, he kind of gets tunnel vision. A lot of offensive fouls were called on him in that game and in a couple of other games I watched because he kind of puts his head down and drives. Um, and that's, that's been interesting. He also, again, he's an active defender, uh, not a super great perimeter defender, kind of got burned a lot because, gar- especially when he got switched onto a guard, they would kind of just blow by him. And with Mike Foster, it's really that he is such a, he's a high motor player, 
there's a lot to like on offense and it's kind of just can he be a little bit more disciplined with what he does and not force everything and maybe just refine his game a little bit more because I think he's raw but the potential is absolutely there yeah and honestly I think if he was just slow down like uh mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of players who just needs to slow down man if he can like slow down and maybe paste his shots you know um not saying that like he he's not going to get his shots of course any good player are going to get their shot attempts but if he could play the game at a pace where he's comfortable instead of playing uh most of the time what he does he plays the other team's pace or you know it's really not his fault though i feel like dalen terry you know who is one of my favorite guards as well but you know he has a lot to improve on as well when it comes to just controlling the game and stuff like that. So, I mean, if he, if he plays with a good point guard, I think Mike Foster can really just improve by playing with a great, uh, you know, skilled point guard. Yeah, I definitely see that. And I think it also kind of confused me the way that Hillcrest Prep used him. They all, they used him out of the post a lot. And Foster, I mean, he, he's pretty good in the post. And I don't, I don't blame them for that part. But it also just seemed like he could be so much more if you gave him – chances on the perimeter and maybe opened up some space for him and maybe that's where a good point guard helps that can break down a defense and then give him an easier chance to score um so maybe yeah maybe that's what helps him out you mentioned the the list of I won't even call it schools really it's just kind of destinations for him next and it's probably one of the more unique lists that we've ever seen from a prospect um he's got the colleges he mentioned are Georgia, Florida State, Western Illinois, and Grambling State. And then he also put out four professional options, China, Germany, Australia, and then the G League program. What do you make of that? Um, I think it's actually like what you have seen. Uh, times have changed. You know, the pro options for, in my opinion, top 20 recruits. Outside of that, you really shouldn't take the pro option. Uh, it's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, for these top 20, especially top 10 guys, uh, you're seeing the professional route, you know, become a better angle. Uh, when it comes to the schools in that list, uh, UGA, I don't see it. FSU, I can see that a lot. Uh, you know, Leonard Hamilton, he loves those guys just like I do the 6'9", 6'11", uh, with their defense. Western Illinois have no clue what's going on there. And uh, Grambling State, um, you know, you're starting to see a lot of guys with the HBCUs and, you know, they're trying to change time and stuff. How many guys will actually do it? I don't know. But uh, there's a lot of talk about it. Um, 24-7 says 100% pro. You know, I'm thinking 100% G League, in my opinion. Uh, just by the way he plays, you can tell that he feels like he's on another level than everyone else. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if I see him in the G League. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I think I pretty much completely agree, yeah, completely agree with you on um, if it's college, probably Florida State, just because, as you said, he's he's really the kind of the type of the player they like to go after, that long, rangy, small power forwardy-ish type of player. I mean, Jonathan Isaac, Patrick Williams. There's so there's so many other examples too. But I think the fact that you put four pro options in when you're not even a high school senior basically says like, yeah, the goal for me is to go pro. And I don't know what that means as far as China and Germany. Australia's had some luck with the recruits they've been able to kind of pull and spend a pro season there. But I agree with you that it's it's really the G League, especially considering that he doesn't have to worry about putting on muscle or weight that much. I'm Obviously, every high schooler can, but he's he's pretty far along in that regard that he probably will be able to hold up at least against a lot of the physicality of the G League. And so I could see that being a good fit as long as this first year of the program kind of goes smoothly. Yeah, it. I think basically uh, when it comes to the G League opinion, he'll wait to see how, you know, Jalen Green and their team, you know, how it affects them, which I don't think it will affect them a lot, especially guys like Jalen Green. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Absolutely. And so to kind of wrap up Foster, because – we've talked about him before you mentioned on the podcast last time that he was your number one guy. And that's, I mean, that's quite a claim to make, especially considering a lot of the guys we talked about at the top of the last episode. But I mean, we've said it, there's a lot that he has to work on. Um, but there is a lot to like, and there's definitely, he's probably got some of the highest upside in this class. So if you reflect on that, would you, where would you kind of, 
put him as far as tiers go in this class? Now, now that you've kind of gone back, take another look at him, um, would you still put – where would you have him up in these rankings? Man, I'd still go with him in the top, you know, top four, wow. honestly. Um, I don't think he replaces anybody outside of that top – inside of the top four. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could replace Chet Holgram, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know what it is with me and Chet, but it's like a – it's another love-hate relationship with Chet. Uh, but I can put him in that top four, uh, you know, if not top four, I'll put him right outside ahead of uh, Jabari Smith because he's at number six right now. Like, he's literally right outside of the top four. On uh, some websites, he's in the top five. So, you know, where I put him at, he's kind of already there. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I'm probably not quite as high on him just because of some of the flaws, but if you're going to ask, like, who is the most upside in this class, I would put him top two or three he's just because like there is so much to like especially with what he can already do as a scorer um what he can do as a defender when he's locked in like there's there's so there's so many positives with him that there's definitely a lot a lot to like there any any last thoughts on Mike Foster anything that you want to see him improve upon as a senior that would make you feel even better about him man honestly uh I just – I don't want him at Hill, Chris. I know he's going to stay there. It's kind of a loyalty thing. You know, Hill, Chris, a good program. But uh, I would love to see him in Oak Hill. They need a lot of help over there. And I think uh, playing under a guy like Steve Smith, who's a legendary high school coach, I think he's kind of the coach that Mike Foster needs, honestly. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm i kind of in the same boat as you. Maybe more for me as far as I would just like to see Hillcrest mix up the way they use him like give him more chances to play in space. I know it's hard to play in space in high school, but give him more chances to play in space. Like give him honestly just more scoring opportunities that aren't just him creating something out of the post. And I think that'll just make him, it'll come so much more easy to him when he doesn't have to just kind of post up and then make something happen. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And yeah, and when it like space at Hillcrest, it's even harder, man, because uh, they have a lot of young bigs over there. Uh, they have a couple guys that are top ten in their class, younger guys, uh, just bigs. You know, they can't really stretch the floor, so it's kind of like they have to be around in that area, which is kind of why Hillcrest has to run. You know, four out, one in. And, you know, uh, there's always help defense when Mike Foster goes to the paint. So I think that's why he kind of you know shades toward that uh, perimeter game more. Uh, because, you know, he doesn't have to deal with the help defense, which, you know, he might as well get used to. Yeah, true, because, he, yeah, he will have to deal with that wherever he goes. Um, let's move on to who most sites that I've seen have had this guy at five. I, I forget where ESPN has him, but 24-7 has him at five. That's Jabari Smith, Jr. Jabari Smith, Jr. Um, I actually, when I was looking up some, trying to read about Jabari Smith and get some scouting reports, I found a – scouting report from 2000 on his dad when he I think he got drafted by the Lakers or at least maybe this person was looking at him to get drafted by the Lakers and that was that was pretty crazy but Jabari Smith Jr. um, obviously higher pedigree than his dad Um, he (laughs) he was a really kind of strange one for me to watch I watched um, there wasn't a whole ton of film but I found some stuff on him with the Atlanta Celtics and when I found him, he was the first guy in this class. Actually, maybe I guess I would give Chet Holmgren this too. He was the first guy in this class where I was more impressed by his defense and rebounding than his offense. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jabari Smith, he's kind of like – he's top – you know, he's a top player, but he's not like one of those flashy guys. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy that gets it done. That's that's the that, you know that's what we're missing a lot in this class. Somebody that just gets things done, and uh, they play the game with you know a different type of maturity. You know, another thing that like, a lot of guys have to improve on. But the thing that carries him is another guy that's six nine, six ten, uh, that can do. You know, he has a very mature game. That's what I like about him. But I want to see, like, what you have to say about him first, and then I kind of go off of you. Okay, sure, yeah. So he was he was really interesting for me because his – what stood out to me right away is he he has a nose for the glass. He had, I think, in this in this game, um, 
it was actually this summer, so I wasn't watching an old an old game, but Celtics <clears> played this summer, and he had I think something like sixteen points and eleven rebounds. So he he really crashed the glass well. Um, hunts rebounds, great, fantastic rebounder, and especially as you said, like he's six ten. He's pretty. He's still pretty skinny, but you could see like he probably grows. I think he's another guy in this class where he could probably add another inch, maybe inch and a half before he's done. And that makes him extremely interesting because he's probably a center or maybe you could get away with him at the four, but he's probably a center at, at the next level. And I think that he has the mentality where he could do that. He's a, he's a really solid shot blocker. I wouldn't call him elite like Chet Holmgren is, but he does a good job getting hands up, contesting shots, um, gets into foul trouble sometimes, but generally overall is pretty good at blocking shots, smart defender. And then on offense, it was really interesting to me because his face-up game is great. Um, great face-up game. Uh, he, can, he can hit it from the perimeter. I wouldn't call him a lock yet, but he's, he looks pretty solid, makes free throws. Um, and then the, the strange part was me was that for me was that his motor didn't seem that high on offense. And maybe that's because of the role that he was in, but there are a lot of times where I would watch the Celtics and he was the last guy up the court. And maybe that's because he's not like, he's not that explosively athletic and not going to blow by you, but he, he was kind of slow to get up the court, um, made some lazy passes. I remember the first play of this game, it was just like a dribble handoff and he turned it over. And then they had a fast break later on in the first half. And he just, way over through J.D. Davison on a fast break attempt. So he's not a great passer, um, not the most high-energy offensive player, but, the fa- yeah, the face-up game is there. And especially with the rebounding, like, it's, it's a quietly productive game for him, which is what I saw. And, yeah, like, there's not a lot of flash, but he definitely, like, contributes to winning in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, like you said on offense, his face-up game is kind of what he just goes to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though it doesn't look like uh, a lock, I think his confidence in his jump shot, you know, gets it very close there. Uh, he has no problem with pulling up. Uh, and that's what I – that's something I saw a lot, which I don't see a lot from my guys in that range now, is the mid-range pull-up. And uh, I don't know if it's because he's afraid of contact or, you know, he's not, you know, into the contact game because we don't see a lot of post-up games. So, you know, that's another thing that can uh, make that assumption. But uh, when he catches the ball at the perimeter, it's either shot or, you know, dribble pull-up and get you off balance to where he can shoot. Or, you know, if he catches the ball, uh, he doesn't catch it on the post lot. It's kind of like the 15 to 20-foot range mm-hmm. and then turn around and face up and make his move there. Um, yeah, he's a great shot blocker, but, you know, low post defense, another thing that he can improve on. Um, it's, it's a, it's kind of weird, man. He plays so different, but I think his maturity, like I said, if I had to make an assumption on him, I think he's the most mature guy, uh, in the class. And, um, you know, it gets kind of lackadaisical at times, but I've seen him lock in and when he locks in, you know, uh, I like him to be more vocal, but when, if it if it's a serious game to him, that's one thing I will say. If it's a serious game to him, he takes it very serious. He takes his matchup seriously. Uh, he talks, and I've seen that in person. But you know, we just got to get consistent, man. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think he's not someone that you're going to see score. He he's not going to put up twenty and ten in college or in the NBA, but he's going to be someone that's like rock solid. I, I don't really like the Jaron Jackson comparison, but I see him doing, I see him as kind of like the trajectory of Jaron Jackson where like he, he didn't wow anyone in college, but everyone knew that he was like a good player. And then he's come to the NBA now and is a fantastic player, even though he's not lighting up the league. And I know Jaron, I mean, they have very different games. Jaron Jackson's not a good rebounder, way better shooter in my opinion. And I think a better overall defender, but I think Jabari Smith, as far as kind of like the the storyline for him is going to be a little bit similar to what Jaron Jackson Jr. went through. And, yeah, honestly, uh, if Jabari Smith Jr. played like he played at USA camp, uh, he would probably be top three because wow. uh, at the USA camp, 
I, it brings the best out of everybody. You know, mm-hmm. of course, you're playing, you know, USA basketball. But he – I'm talking about uh, post-up and trying to dunk on people. I was like, is this Shabari <laughs> Smith I'm watching? He was very aggressive. Uh, we saw him touch the post. We saw him touch uh, the three-point line, mid-range. He, he acted as a three-level scorer uh, at the USA camp. And I think um, – I don't know if they brought it out of him or he just felt like he, he needed to compete. But if he brings that energy level every game, then, you know, he could be, you know, another guy's top three, top four. Yeah, I agree with that. And so that, that'll that take us in a good direction, right, to where he's going next. Um, Jabari Smith hasn't put out a, a cut list yet of schools. Um, we talked off air about the Tipton edits thing that came out like last night. They, they mentioned that it wasn't a cut list, but we could talk about some of those schools as well. Um, as far as interest goes, he's got, as you would expect, quite a lot of offers, except for the the two kind of recruiting powerhouses of Duke and Kentucky. Um, just to name some of them, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Florida State, LSU. Uh, that's all that 24-7 list, but I'm sure that there, he's probably got a couple more. Um, but those are the big schools. And where do you think is a is a good fit for someone like him who isn't going to come in and be your number one scoring option, but like is part of a winning team in that way? Um, it's this is one of the weirdest lists I've ever seen for any <laughs> guy that's around that top five range. Um, Roy Williams, we've seen what he does, you know, with kind of the bigger guys at the four and five. Um, this is obviously a weird list. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he landed at Georgia, Auburn, or Bama because, uh, you know, those are the closer schools to his area. And uh, Auburn, you know, Bruce Pearl, he's doing a lot with the program. Uh, there's a lot of bigs at Auburn right now. Um, but, you know, with five-star recruits, they go in and start because it doesn't matter. Yeah. But uh, – Honestly, I think Georgia or Alabama would be the best fit for him. I like when Nate Oates is doing the Alabama. He needs an interior presence. Um, and he, he hasn't landed a big recruit. You know, Javon Quinterly's over there, but he transferred from Villanova. So I'm honestly going with Bama or Georgia, man. Uh, I don't know how Tom Crean would, you know, use him uh, as we compare Tom Crean to the past. He's more of a guard coach. But – yeah, it's between Bama and Georgia or North Carolina, any of those other schools. I don't quite frankly think they have a chance. Yeah, I like I like what you said about North Carolina and Alabama too. They've really been – Alabama and Auburn both, honestly, have kind of been two recruiting programs that are on the rise. And I know they've all, they've, haven't they've necessarily been bad at recruiting in the past, but they've really kind of taken off in the past couple of years with who they've been able to get. But a big – for both teams would be a huge, would be a huge help. Um, the one other team I would toss out, I don't know if I would list this as a top school, but I think LSU is kind of interesting because they too have have gotten a lot of solid recruits and done a pretty good job with player development with guys over the last few years. They haven't really done it with bigs as much, which is why I guess that would kind of make sense. They've they've kind of impressed more with what they've been able to get out of their guards and kind of their wings. But so maybe he's a fit there, but I think I agree with you that a lot of these kind of southern SEC or like area like that schools are ones that kind of jump out to me. And I think I'd agree with you that Alabama, Georgia, I mean, UNC UNC still always does a good job with recruiting too. So I wouldn't be surprised at all by that one. Yeah. With the LSU thing, uh, you know, we kind of saw Will Wade uh, touching trouble again this year. And now it's kind of disappeared again, (laughs) uh, like it always does. Like every time it comes up, you know, it goes away. I haven't heard of any sanctions or anything. Uh, You know, if Will Wade drops a bag like he's been doing on all these other players, it would be a surprise if Jabari Smith ends up there (laughs) as well. But uh, that's another interesting team, though. I don't kind of see it, though, at the same time, because uh, the thing about LSU is, you know, Trenton Wofford uh, surprised me. I think he decided to stay. But LSU is one of the few teams this year that's actually bringing in, like, all 10 people. And I've never seen anything like that. 
because uh, you know you have the recruiting class, which consists consisted of like four or five guys, yep. and then you have uh, James Akinjo, Sharif O'Neal. There's like four like transfers coming in as well, so you know that's another big thing with LSU. I totally forgot about Sharif O'Neal. That that is a <laughs> wow. I'm I'm excited for him to get to play. Um, so yeah, they're only losing to the draft. What Skylar Mays? Who was he a senior anyway? He might have been a senior. Yeah, he was anyway. a senior. Yeah. Um, but you know, Javante Smart, Emmett Williams, like all those guys from last year came back, and then you're bringing in like almost ten guys. I don't see them like they'll recruit, but at the same time, they might not recruit heavy this next year. That's a yeah. That's a great point. Honestly, that'll be a fun team to watch too with all those guys back. And I mean, I I guess it sounds like from that way, Sharif probably won't get a whole ton of time this year but you never know it depends I don't know where he's at really with his health but hopefully he's back um any any last thoughts on Jabari Smith I know we talked about him being a weird prospect but a quietly good one in that way I think that's kind of a good way to sum him up yeah that's pretty much all for me (laughs) yeah same um so we'll head to I actually really liked watching this guy um he re he reclassed, I forget when, because he was he was going to be 2022, right? Caleb Houston. Yeah. Um, he reclassed at some point. I think Caleb Houston is an awesome, awesome player. And maybe that's just because Montverde makes everyone look awesome. But I am huge on Caleb Houston. And it's because, as I pull up my notes here, um, just to get it out of the way, his shot is probably – on par I would say he's 1b to Patrick Baldwin's 1a as far as just pure shooting in this class like he is he's got probably the best he's probably got the best set shot um you didn't see a whole ton of him off the dribble but I I think it's there and it just he just looks so great when he shoots and he also kind of thrived in that low usage role he was honestly what the at times like the fifth option on that Montverde starting lineup and he still, which is crazy to me, first of all, but he, yeah, he still was extremely efficient and productive. Um, he gets his hands up on defense, very solid, very solid defender, um, disciplined, great fundamentals on defense. He's a smart passer. He's not a playmaker, but he's going to keep the ball moving and make the right decision every time. Um, just always in contrast to Mike Foster and the next player we're going to talk about, um, Houston just always seems like he's in control and like never seems like he's straining to do anything. Maybe again, that's because he had the best supporting cast you could possibly have in a high school basketball team, but he just, it never seemed like he was really worried about anything or trying to do too much. Um, I guess the downside, not really a threat off the dribble yet that we've seen. Um, And again, how, how good really is he when, the defense has to focus so much on everyone else on Montverde. Um, that w- those are my thoughts on Houston. What do you think about him? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go out and say, you know, he's another guy that's probably one of the most mature people in this class. And uh, it's kind of funny how, you know, it always happens like this. But he, when he was in 2022, he was actually like number two or three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he moves up and he stays, you know, top nine, top ten guy. Um you know, six eight, another six eight guy. Um, an interesting thing to me is uh, recruiting analysts actually don't know what he is. You know, they don't know what position he is because they keep switching it up. And if you pay close attention to things like I do, uh, you know, ESPN at one point had him as a shooting guard, mm-hmm. and now since they moved him up, they have him as a small forward, and then you know, twenty four seven has him as a power forward. Um, and that kind of complements him, in my opinion. That tells you how many positions that he could play. Uh, I'm honestly thinking two through four. I don't see him at the one or five. So two through four, he can actually, you know, play it on offense and guard those positions. Um, yeah, Like you said, he's probably uh, right behind Pat Ball when it comes to pure shooting. Uh, not much of an officer dribble guy, more of a spot-up guy. And I think he's honestly a role player, and I think that will continue throughout his whole career. He would be, like, a key role player. It's kind of like a Danny Green type guy. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it's kind of hard because, like you said, he played on probably what's considered the best high school team of all time. And uh, this year they're bringing in in somebody every year, and Kevin Boyle is a great system. 
assistant coach. Uh, a lot of people doesn't know that, you know, because they outflash and, you know, out-talent everyone. But Montverde actually plays a system offense. And uh, Kevin Boyle has ran that system for a long time. And that's why you see almost every player thrive. You know, all the star lineup average double figures, and you have three guys to come off the bench to average double figures. It's because it's a system. Um, how he got that high, though, I've not seen much AAU clips, but I'm assuming that in AAU he tries to be more ball-dominant. And, you know, that's how he got where he was. And then once he got in a system, you could see how he could thrive there as well. Um, he's an interesting prospect, though. I like his wingspan as well. Another thing that a lot of people don't pay attention to. Um, but, yeah, um, Caleb Houston, he's not flashy offensively or defensively, but he's probably the best role player in this class. Yeah, I, I love that kind of trajectory for him because, yeah, he's not going to – kind of be a go-to scorer. He's not going to be a creator. Um, he's not going to be like your anchor on defense, but he's going to do a little bit of everything. He's not, he's not Clay Thompson, obviously, because Thompson kind of just is faster and Thompson is a top five shooter ever. But Houston is kind of going to, be, I think going to be someone that does a lot of what Thompson does, where he's going to be a rock solid defender, both on ball and in like a team system. He's going to be a great shooter. He's not going to dribble much, probably, in whatever future system he is. Maybe he's more like a a two-way Duncan Robinson almost. Because, I mean, Robinson isn't a – he's a pretty poor defender, and Houston does have that. But Houston also is a little bit slower. Either, either way, like, there's this is a guy who is an NBA role player. Like, he will – not win any MVPs, but he will probably win quite a few championships as long as he goes to a half-decent team because he is someone that is just exactly what you need, really. And you can never have too many Caleb Houston-type players. So he's going to be coveted for sure. Yeah, I like that Duncan Robertson comparison. Uh, you know, except he has a couple of inches on Duncan and, like you said, a better defender. Um, yeah, if he play a role like Duncan Robertson is right now, then, of course, you know, teams are going to be, you know, expected to succeed. But uh, if he could get into at least the handle that Tyler Hero has, then he could play a much bigger role. Mm -hmm. Still don't see him becoming a superstar, but, you know, he can become a better player and score even more. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And Houston, uh, we mentioned this off air, not a huge social media presence. Um, so we don't <laughs> see any, don't see a lot of lists. Uh, he's someone we'll have to head to the, to the 24-7 offer list. Um, I can read these down for you and let me know what you think. Um, so we've got uh, what 24-7 lists as warm interest are Arizona, Duke, Gonzaga, and Oregon. You also have programs like Alabama, Arkansas, send them an offer, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, UNC, Tennessee, Virginia. Oh, Michigan State's on here twice. That's weird. Um, Seton Hall. Um, and they have Villanova who hasn't offered him, but they're on the list. So that's kind of the list of schools. You don't see Kentucky on there, which is kind of interesting. But otherwise, it's a lot of the the big-name programs that you'd expect. Yeah. Um, the only way I see him coming to Arkansas is Moses recruiting him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, the, I want to pay attention to the warm schools. Out of the warm schools, uh, I think all of them fit except Arizona. I don't see him uh, fitting under Sean Miller program. Uh, he's not a Sean Miller guy, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, Duke, they're for the 6'8", six, 6'9", six, guys. They love them. Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about how they develop guys like that in the past podcast. Um, with Payalo and them there, though, uh, A.J. Griffin and all them, uh, and then Pat Baldwin having 100% crystal ball to Duke, uh, I've ruled Duke out. You know, it's too much going on. A lot of guys that he probably wouldn't want to play alongside to get along, you know, fight for a position for. So uh, I rule out Duke and Arizona. Uh, Gonzaga, I can see it a lot, though. Um, and Oregon. Oregon is a great program, man. I think that's what a lot of people, you know, forget. Oregon, they're a power five in college basketball. And, you know, they're not blue blood, but they are up there, uh, probably right under them, in my opinion. Uh, so honestly, either Gonzaga or Oregon, and if it came down to those two, I'm going to go with Mark Few and uh, 
Gonzaga. Uh, yeah, I, I think the rationale there is great. Um, Duke, as you said, like he, w- I think he would be a really cool fit there because Duke one, obviously their development with freshmen is great. Two, they also do a great job kind of using their shooters, even when it's like the random guys off the bench who are not recruited at all, who just suddenly become snipers like Jack White. Um, Alex O'Connell. Yeah, so imagine what they did with Caleb Houston in that sense. But but yeah, like the just trying to figure out positions, he's probably not going to be there unless you went with a massive, and I know this would be fun, but you went like Caleb Houston, A.J. Griffin, Pat Baldwin, Paolo Banchero, and then like Trevor Keels at point guard, which would be awesome, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, I'm running it. And, you know, that's something great too because Duke likes to run that 2-3 a lot. So imagine the size and length on that 2-3. Yeah, it would be it'd be a matchup nightmare. I, I just couldn't – I don't know if I could see all of them kind of fitting in that well. Um, Gonzaga, as you said, they – as and we've talked about this on past episodes. They've really come a long way with – not only recruiting, but also kind of developing immediate impact players. And they used to be a school that was a like a four-year guy, and they always were a great competitive school, but you didn't really see a lot of draft prospects. And they've, they've changed that in a lot of ways. But I like Oregon a lot, actually, because I think they're – you all the pluses that you've mentioned, they're, they're a school with a lot of winning success. Um, they've also recruited really well recently – um, you think about Bull Bull, but also even even a guy like Lewis King, who was a top. I think he was a he was a five star, I believe. Um, yeah, Lou King was a five star. Yeah. So, and I, I was a huge, I wasn't am a huge fan of him. I think he'll come around in the NBA. But Caleb Houston is again someone that I think they could, they could grab because he might fly under the radar a little bit because he just reclassed up. Um, plays a lot of the same position as a lot of the other top guys in this class. And I think that's where a sleeper team like Oregon could swipe someone like him. So I think Gonzaga and Oregon probably both have a great chance at, at getting this guy. Yeah. And, you know, as of right now, I don't really see uh, any other players uh, leaning towards Oregon. So with Oregon is kind of like guys who are already there now. Uh, and we saw C.J. Walker transfer out, uh, you know, who was a guy that can compete with uh, Caleb Houston. But, yeah, if he goes to Oregon, uh, there's no doubt he will start. Really, if he goes anywhere. But uh, Oregon, yeah, like I said, Oregon or Gonzaga, man, two best fits. Yeah, agreed. Um, so any any remaining thoughts on Caleb Houston? If I were to put this guy in in these rankings, man, it's tough because – like his upside isn't that high, but he's such a he's such a great translatable player. I would probably put him in like five, six, or seven, which is kind of where he is right now. But that's where I'd probably stick him. Yeah, and like you were saying, I'll keep him right there as well because uh, this is for the first time in a long time that we've seen a top ten recruit that's kind of like a role player guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that says a lot about what Paul Biancardi thinks about Caleb Houston and his upside and uh, basically potential to get to the NBA. Because with a guy like that, uh, NBA is NBA is there. You know, he can go to college, obviously. I think he can miss and, you know, still go to the NBA. Yeah, definitely. Just just his tools. He's he's pretty well built, too. I know um, 24-7 has him at 6'8", 205. So obviously you can always get stronger, but that's that's pretty good size. Um, yeah, so that's Caleb Houston, our last player. Uh, he's ranked 13, I believe, in the 24-7 composite rankings. But he, he's someone that's kind of all over the place on different rankings. And that is Kennedy Chandler, who for me was a really interesting watch. Um, as I pull up my notes, he, first of all, what you notice about him, he has just got blazing speed. He's, I think, to me, just if you're just going to put him in a foot race, he's probably the fastest guy that I've watched in this class. He's, He just is so fast in the open court, especially. Um, his first step is almost unbeatable. He, I was watching him um, with Briarcrest, and he just blows by his defender when he gets a first step. He's, he's so tough to stop, and... He's a he's a really good ball handler, as you'd expect from a, from kind of a lead guard. Uh, finishes well at the rim, 
the thing with him to me was that he is inconsistent from the perimeter. Um, he missed a lot of free throws in the game that I watched, which was kind of concerning. His shot looks fine, but he was kind of up and down. He also didn't get a lot of perimeter attempts. He plays so fast sometimes that he almost seems out of control. He lost the ball on a couple of occasions just because he kind of was going downhill way too fast. Missed a open transition dunk because he was just flying. Like, he's so fast. And I think he just caught himself off guard. Um, missed a couple of easy layups. Again, just because he – I think he needs to kind of slow down a little bit. And it's easy for him because his speed is such an advantage. And I think if he slows down, relies on his ball handling a little bit, because he's a good ball handler, I think that'll give him more chances and not just have him kind of blowing by all of his attempts. Um, he's also a little undersized. He's 6'1". Uh, I've seen his, him listed at 165, which is pretty small. And that's definitely going to be an issue at whatever the next level is. But I do think him transferring to Sunrise Christian Academy is big because they're a winning program. And I think they're going to let him be kind of the floor general like he was at Briarcrest. And that'll be really cool to watch. Yeah, I think uh, the reason he played so fast at Briarcrest is because uh, – you know, he had to. He was honestly the only player they had uh, mm-hmm. for being young because uh, they lost actually to a local school in, uh, you know, Arkansas, uh, which had no business beating any five-star. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, it's two different Kennedy Chandlers. You have the school ball Kennedy Chandler, and then you have the AAU Kennedy Chandler, which is kind of the one that got him where he was. Uh in AAU, he got to play with one of the best big men to come through high school basketball and follow Dante. And uh, outside of that, it was just him, Dante, and role players. And he kind of controlled the whole game. Uh, he controlled the pace. He shifted paces. Uh, you know, he sped up. He slowed down in AAU. Uh, we saw him dunk on Jalen Green. Uh, yes. You know, it wasn't a full dunk on, but, you know, we saw it there. Um, you know, He's probably the best point guard, you know, which is why a lot of sites have him as number one point guard. He's probably the best point guard in this class, uh, no doubt. Um, in terms of his game, though, I would like to see him get more confident in the jump shot. It's kind of like you said, uh, speed, you know, first step, uh, getting downhill. Those are what he looked to do more. But if he can get more confidence in his jump shot, uh, that can make him, you know, even more lethal player. Uh, with the transfer to Sunrise, you know, like you said, he's going to be their floor general. He's going to lead them. Uh, you know, and he's going to get to play around some talent finally for his high school career mm-hmm. uh, during school ball. He's going to play against better competition as well, though. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he gets along and compliments Kendall T. Brown, you know, another five-star uh, at Sunrise. Uh, you know, he gets to play with a big again, you know, kind of gets to play his guard position instead of having to do too much at Briarcrest. Um, I think he settles in, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised if his ranking goes up just by playing more competition and playing with more talent and, you know, getting to see him better. Yeah, I think I I agree with a lot of that. Um, My question at Sunrise, and I'll ask this to you too, is do you think he's going to be able to hold up from a size perspective, especially when he's playing against some of this better competition? Um, Yeah, I think he'll be able to hold up, honestly. Uh, because watching him play EYBL, which, you know, a lot of times he was, you know, small there, uh, he was able to hold his own, hold his own a lot on EYBL. Uh, with him, he's not, you cannot run a switch defense, though. Um, you have to run where, you know, guard switch and bigs kind of hedge or ice, because honestly, you can't switch with him, you know, how small he is. And uh, Sunrise doesn't do that anyways. I know a lot about Sunrise. My cousin actually played there uh, this past year. So, um, yeah. So, Sunrise, they kind of, on defense, their scheme is kind of, you know, keep the big inside. So, kind of four out, one in defense. All four guards switch. They don't like to run two bigs. So, all four guards switch, and the big kind of protects the paint, and they have a decent big over there. Uh, I think he holds his own, especially on offense and defense. If he could just move his feet, you know, lateral quickness, uh, keep that up. I think he fits in well. Okay, yeah. And I I think it'll also just be good for him to show off his speed against higher caliber opponents. Because even even as you kind of step up 
in this level of competition. As you said, in the UIBL and in AAU, he's just so fast. And, and that is really impressive. He also is probably the top true point guard in these rankings. I know we, I mean, we did Jaden Hardy, but he's kind of, as we've talked about, a combo guard, probably not a true point guard in the sense that Kennedy Chandler is. So I'm excited to see where, where he goes with Sunrise. Um, he's also committed already. He's going to Tennessee, which has done a really great job recruiting guards recently. I am blanking on one of, oh, Keon Johnson, I believe they got in addition to Jaden Springer. And, they're just kind of adding to that well by getting Kennedy Chandler. Yeah, and I think that played into that big Tennessee decision was, you know, he's the hometown kid uh, being from Memphis. Uh, so, you know, why not, you know, play for your home state, who's actually a decent program. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, going back to Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, they kind of fell off this year. It was a transitioning period. Uh, but I look to see him get right back up this year. Like you said, Jaden Springer, Keon, uh, all those guys, and they have a point guard there. It's actually from overseas. He came mid-season last year, and he's a oh. stud, uh, kind of like a Ricky Rubio comparison. Uh, I like him a lot. Uh, there, uh, most of their guys are coming back. You don't see, you know, lottery picks come out of Tennessee, uh, yeah. so I look to see them uh, next year. They can be a force in the SEC, which has gotten very better this year. Yeah, definitely. I I agree with that. Um, and they also had, didn't they just get a, I forget who just recruited this week as we kind of, I guess this will kind of help take us into the recruiting news, but someone just recruit, just committed to Tennessee this week. Yeah, um, it was a Jemai Mashek. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know too much about him, but is he going to pair well with Kennedy Chandler? Uh, he's a guy that I actually haven't paid much attention to as well. Uh, kind of an under-the-radar guy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, barely top 100. Um, from what I've heard, though, is that uh, he's a great all-around player uh, in that 6'5 to 6'6 range. Uh, I've heard a lot about him having to get his skill set up, though, when it comes to, like, ball handling. Uh, but they said when it comes to the uh, defending and, you know, doing little things, he's a great player at that, though. Yeah, and Tennessee, I think in all of these guys we've talked about, Tennessee loves to recruit kind of high-level guard defenders. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, so now that we've we kind of wrapped up these four players, first, before we get into some of the other recruiting news, how would you rank these four? Um, Jabari Smith, Mike Foster, Caleb Houston, Kennedy Chandler. Um, honestly, I go with Mike Foster, Jabari Smith, Caleb Houston, then Kennedy Chandler. I think I agree with that. I, I might actually stick Houston over Jabari Smith. Uh, it's tough. They're, they're very close because they're both kind of guys who, who are not up. They're kind of safe picks. I, I guess I'd lean, I guess Jabari Smith has a little bit more upside than Caleb Houston does. So I guess I would pick him. But otherwise, yeah, I think I agree with your four. And, and yeah, I guess, yeah, that would be there. We, do you think all four of them are probably top ten players in this class? Yeah, in this class? Mm -hmm. uh, no, I don't think Kenny Chandler is a top ten player in this class. Um, but the other three guys, um, yeah, there's no doubt that they are. You know, it's kind of iffy with Caleb Houston. You know, he's yeah. another guy that could be outside of the top ten. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to go with those three guys. And Kennedy Chandler, no, I don't really see it. Yeah, I think for me, what I have to see with Kennedy Chandler is just that he is, like, more consistent with his his guard skills and not just kind of using his speed and athleticism to beat everyone. And then I that, that would be what helps me buy in on him. Um, yeah, so we'll take it into the recruiting news now, because I know you were really excited to talk about this. Um, we'll start with the Trevor Keels cut list, because that's probably, outside of any commitments, that's probably the biggest news that's come out so far. Um, what did you make of that? I believe it was it was Duke, um, Virginia, and one other school. I forget what it was. Villanova. Villanova. What, what do yeah. you make of that? Um... Very interesting school, but I think, I mean, very interesting schools, but every school fit Trevor Hills. 
another guy who we could arguably say, you know, is right outside of Baldwin and Houston when it comes to shooting. But uh, this time it's a guard and a 6'5 guard at that. So um, when it comes to Duke, um, it kind of depends on how, uh, you know, those guards play out. The guards that are there, DJ Stewart, Jeremy Roach, it kind of depends on, you know, how they play this year. And then you have – honestly, this Duke thing, man, I'm going – I think Duke, bro, because Jeremy Roach, uh, who is his high school teammate, I think Jeremy Roach is not one and done, honestly. And if he is one and done, uh, he's going to be second round maybe. And I don't want him to end up like Trayvon Duvall. I seriously don't want him to end up like that. Mm-hmm. So I think if Jeremy Roach stays, Trevor Hills is a lock for Duke. Virginia, um, I don't really see him fitting to the system on defense because he's not a high-oriented defensive guy. And Villanova, another great fit for Jay Wright. Uh, it's been a while since they've got, like, a top shooting guard. Uh, and their offense, I think, fits Trevor Kills. So I'm going to go with Duke or Nova, honestly. Yeah, I think – I think it's hard to not pick Duke at this point, considering, I mean, Duke's Duke, and also everyone's kind of projected him to go to Duke. Um, he'd be a great fit there. And the, I think the Jeremy Roach thing is a really interesting point. And whether, honestly, I mean, between him and DJ Stewart, they're probably definitely aren't both going one and done. It's probably only one of them, possibly none of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at least one of them's coming back. That's such a that's such a loaded lineup, whether it's Rocher, Stewart, Keels, and then the three forwards is, is crazy. Um, so yeah, I think I agree with you that Duke's probably the top one just because also I haven't, I mean, Villanova, they've done a pretty good job recruiting guys. I know Quinterly didn't work out, but they've also got guys like Brian Antoine um, recently, but they are not, I wouldn't call them a recruiting powerhouse and same thing for Virginia too. Like they, they get guys from time to time, but they're more, kind of four-year player development programs in that way. Yeah, I'm actually excited to see Brian Antoine. I know he hurt himself, uh, didn't get to play this year, uh, which was very unfortunate. Uh, and another thing that was unfortunate was seeing him and Scotty Lewis break up after they basically played every level of basketball together before college. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he fits in at Nova, man. Uh, they really haven't had – you know, a scorer like him, they're another system offense. Uh, so we see guys um, like Jermaine Samuels and Sadiq Bay, who's going to be a top pick this year. Um, they kind of fit into the system from like driving. They didn't have a shooter. Nova needs a shooter. Um, but yeah, I think Duke is a lot. <laughs> like I'm saying, this Duke thing, you know, you have Duke, who is a program. Then you have a guy that's considered your best friend who's at Duke. And you don't know how he's going to play. So, honestly, I think Trevor Kill's decision, even though he made the top three early, I probably wouldn't be surprised if we don't see his decision come till after his high school season. Wow. Yeah. And that is interesting. And we'll we'll break down Kill's maybe in the next episode and sometime soon because he, one, is, is a top prospect and, two, it's just, I mean, a fun guy to watch. So we'll definitely talk about him soon. I also think – down the road this is kind of not really teasing an episode but I think there should, we should do one because you mentioned Trayvon Duvall and I think it would be cool to go back through the last say like five years of high school classes and do kind of a kind of a what if episode where we talk about yeah. like like guys like Trayvon Duvall or even like Harry Giles if he didn't get hurt as much or Theo Pinson and there's so many if you go back and look at the top tens and you think man if if something had kind of gone differently or if they had made a different decision or played a little bit, bit better, like a lot of, a lot of fortunes change, especially in college. So I think maybe down the road, we can do an episode like that. Cause it'd be cool to look back. Um, I'll let you kind of take over this part. What, what was some of the other recruiting news that popped out to you this week? Yeah. And uh, before I go to the recruiting news real quick, um, now that I look at Duke's roster, I'm going to be honest, Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart might both go one and done because there are, like, no other guards at all. Wow. Like, Wendell Moore, I mean, unless you play him at the two, which he's really, like, a natural three, uh, and Jordan Goldwire, who's obviously just not going to spark the world because he's more of a role-player guy. DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach are literally the only guards that Duke has, and I don't know if that's going to be a problem this year. 
you know, if one of those guys get in foul trouble. But that's kind of – that's weird seeing Duke only have, like, two guards to go to. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking down there. They didn't – I'm – it's it's tough to say this about Duke because we're used to Duke just raking in five-star players and they obviously still had a great kind of recruiting season. But yeah, I'm looking at the guys they got. I'm very high on DJ Stewart. I like him a lot, but a lot of where they went were kind of bigs. I mean, you had Mark Williams, Jamin Brakefield, obviously Jalen Johnson was kind of their big get. And yeah, looking at their guard roster, I mean, you have Trey Jones leaving for the draft um, and that's kind of it. Like they there are a lot of holes that need to be filled. And I know Duke always is a team that you don't really need to worry about depth that much because they'll bring out, like we said earlier, the random sniper who will kind of be your sixth man spark as a guard. But, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of playing time for Stewart this year. And then Jeremy Roach this year. And I'm, you're probably what you're playing them both at one and the two. I don't know. I'm trying to check about their size. So Roach is six, two, Stewart is 6'3". You could probably play Stewart at the two. He is a combo guard. Roach is more of a point guard. Um, and that's kind of what you what you do. And I, they could both go one and done. I feel like it's hard. It's hard to have a guard tandem go one and done. And you only see that really at like Kentucky, Kentucky where they just rake in guards. And they, and they always have at least two. I guess Arizona's doing it this year too with Josh <clears throat> Green and Nico Mannion. But it's hard to have both your starting guards go one and done because usually one kind of takes over, one takes a back seat. But I like both these guys, so they could they could definitely both do it. I also do want to shout out um, PVI is a one of my favorite high school just rosters that they have right now. Um, we've talked about Roach, we've talked about Trevor Keels, um, Doug McDaniel. I'm also such a huge fan of. He's a he's 2022, I believe. He's only five nine super small guard who is just a such a pest on defense um really fast just plays with such heart and energy that i do yeah i do want to shout out doug mcdaniel and really that that pbi rotation of guards is was so much fun to watch this year and hopefully they have something like that next year yeah and honestly um I said this on my personal channel, man. Uh, the conference, I can't think of it. I can never think of the name of it. But that conference that they play in in that DMV area, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, has Demata and all of them in there, that's probably uh, the best conference in high school basketball. It's it's very competitive, uh, good teams. You see a lot of the teams playing outside of the conference on national schedule. So, you know, Doug McDaniel was a great guy. Um, you know, they're never just really just super big over there, but every guy plays a role, and that's what I like about their school as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I'm, I'm looking up their, their conference right now. It's the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference. Um, yeah, WCAC. WCAC. Yeah. yeah. That um, conference right there, man, it's legit. Yeah, there are, so, there are so many schools. A lot of them showed up to Hoopal where I got to watch them. Like uh, Bishop O'Connell, even they were like a middle-of-the-pack school, and they were great. Um, Gonzaga College, um, DeMath Catholic, PBI, um, Good Council, St. John's, Archbishop Carroll has, has good years. Um, they're so they're so good. Yeah, absolutely. I w- I'd probably agree with you, best conference in high school. Because, I mean, the DMV also is probably – a top two or three hotbed of, of basketball talent in the country. Um, so, yeah, I guess back to that was kind of our side tangent about Trevor Keels and the DMV. But, yeah, what other, what other recruiting news did you note for, for this week? Um, honestly, outside of Ben Grigg and Jemima Shack, uh, we saw Mike James commit to Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this year's, this week's recruiting class, uh, was kind of quiet. Honestly, we saw guys that are in top 100, but, you know, not very well-known na- names they committed, uh, this week. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of grassroots basketball going on, though. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of people talk about the matchup between, uh, Payalo and Pat, uh, which Payalo's in one, and we got to see a monster dunk from him. Yeah. Man. Uh, and, yeah, like I was saying about that game, a lot of recruiting analysts said that, you know, Payalo outplayed Pat 
You know, I wish I could have watched the game. I'm going to try to find it somewhere. Somebody has to have that game. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, um, we saw that. And um, we saw a lot of J.D. Davison, uh, Mikey Williams, uh, back with the Atlanta Celtics uh, this past weekend. Uh, we saw that. They had a pretty good showing. Um, I know you you saw J.D. J- J- J. Davison. I know you wanted to talk about him a little bit. Yeah, and I, I mean, I won't elaborate too much because I know we're going to probably get into him at some point, but he was – he's such a crazy high flyer, and I, and he kind of just stunned me with the way that he explodes to the rim and just ex- – again, not in a different sense that Kennedy Chandler is just fast. Um, J.D. Davison is more like fast and just bounce. He's He's got like a, a crazy amount of hops, and he is super fun to watch. Again, probably needs to – tone it down sometimes so that he isn't just charging into people and fouling, but he is, he's an elite, like great finisher at the rim. He was really cool to watch, especially because I was looking at Jabari Smith and what he does on offense and JD Davison. Also Matt Cleveland did a good job too with, with the Celtics. Um, There was no Mikey Williams in the game that I watched, but yeah, JD Davison is such a fun high flyer to watch. Yeah. And, um, just on some more recent recording news, I know Jonathan Lawson, even though he's only a three-star, uh, but his family line doesn't seem like a three-star. He got Dedrick and, you know, KJ Lawson, who is in uh-huh. Kansas. Chandler Lawson is at Oregon right now. Um, the other Lawson is at Memphis, I think. <laughs> that family line just produces wow. basketball players. But um, uh, he recently recently. Re- uh, Bama, Arkansas, Iowa State, Oregon, and Vanderbilt, I believe. Um, out of those schools, honestly, um, I see Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. I see Arkansas, Oregon, or Iowa State. You know, Oregon because his brother is there. Uh, Arkansas, he has really close Arkansas ties uh, since he's from Memphis. And uh, he comes here a lot, either for a tournament or just to train. So he talks uh, – you know, a lot of people from Arkansas. And uh, Iowa State, who's a program, I believe, uh, fits players like him uh, in that 6'6 range that can play the guard or forward. A lot of times with Iowa State, they like to use the 6'6 guys um, from 2 through 4, which is why they've had a lot of success in the past. You see guys like Taylor Ward Tucker, who, you know, showed flashes with the Lakers uh, (laughs) a couple days ago. Yeah. Uh, He was at the 4 sometimes for Iowa State at 6'4". So that tells you kind of what their scheme is. But, yeah, he really recently released his top six. And, uh, you know, a very interesting prospect uh, by the way he plays. Another guy is probably one of the most lethal shooters in the class. So, um, yeah, that's Jonathan Lawson. Yeah, I think that's an interesting list. And, it, I mean, it makes sense to you. The other kind of cut list that we saw was Sky Clark. Um, he put it down to a top four. He's got Memphis, UCLA, UNC, and Kentucky. I feel like – any high-profile guard, you kind of just go Kentucky. Um, but UCLA, I mean, we talked about this. UCLA is also a super interesting fit for him. Um, again, I mean, he's got plenty of time to to kind of figure it out. So it's interesting it's already yeah. down to four, though. I feel like it's pretty early to only be down to four schools. Yeah, I, I don't know where, like, these younger guys, they are, like, pretty serious on their decisions. That's yeah. what I've noticed because, you know, we saw Dior Johnson commit to Syracuse, and he's like 2022, 2023 as well. And then you have Scott releasing his top list. Money Bates committed very early. These younger guys kind of have their mind made up. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I guess it's probably easier to find out all the info now and everything, but it absolutely is crazy. Um, any, any last thoughts as we kind of wrap this episode up? Anything we missed? that you want to kind of talk about before we finish this up? Any preview of the guys you want to talk about next week? Um, no, I honestly don't think we missed anyone. Uh, we'll probably um, off air probably decide who we talk about next yeah. week, like we usually do. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you saying something about Duke and the sniper. I think the sniper this year will be uh, Joey Baker. Um, a guy who honestly I think reclassing hurt him a lot. Uh, he was a guy um, – I saw him in person a lot as well. A uh, guy that was top 10 at one point. 
uh, reclassed up and kind of moved to like lower 40s, which is the lowest I've ever seen somebody move once they reclassed. And against the Duke, uh, a lot of people ahead of him there. So he red shirts, plays a little bit last year. Uh, this year, I'm looking forward to seeing a guy who used to be a top 15 guy honestly break into a role this year with Duke, and I hope he does. Yeah, and the other guy that I wanted to mention was Matthew Hurt. And I know people have talked about where he's at with really just kind of his fit on Duke. How do you think he's going to fit this year? He's a guy who can stretch the floor, um, but he really struggled last year. Do you think he is able to turn it around this year, or do you think he's going to kind of get buried by the by the three – or by kind of the bigs that they've brought in, where do you see him fitting? Um, I think he turns it around this year, but I honestly might uh, believe that he comes off the bench uh, in a kind of six-man role uh, somewhere there. Um, you know, I don't know what happened to Matthew Hurt when he got to Duke. He looks kind of shaky. Uh, we saw a guy that was probably one of the best mid-range shooters and best face-up players uh, in high school basketball go to Duke. And uh, kind of just looked like he was lost. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times it's because, you know, talent around you and, you know, the system doesn't fit you. But I like how he's going to try to stay there and stick it out, you know, find his game uh, under a great coach and Coach K who's going to help him find his game. Uh, but with this year, though, I see him coming off the bench. Um, do I think he have a more productive year? Uh, yes, but in a, maybe a smaller role this year, though. Yeah, I think I agree with that. All right. I guess that pretty much kind of sums it all up. We'll, we'll now figure out, we got another week that will dissect this 2021 class. We will figure it out off air. Maybe we'll announce the, the people we're looking at on social media or something to kind of build some hype. Um, but yeah, you can, you can find this episode. You'll see it on Anchor, Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts now. So wherever you get your podcast, pretty much we're, we're going to be there. Um, YouTube. Instagram will have clips, uh, Twitter, obviously we got the crystal basketball podcast, Twitter account at podcast crystal. Um, you can find us on YouTube as well. Crystal basketball podcast on YouTube. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much, I feel like we covered all the bases as far as available streaming platforms. So make sure you check out this episode. Um, if you missed last week's on the top four prospects in this class, definitely want to check that out too, to kind of give you a summary of where the top tier is. Otherwise, we'll be back at you with another episode next week. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.